Zito from seventh to first in the final event. You are a champion. And Oleksiak has done it! The girl from the six has got six Olympic medals. The substitute for Canada just about gets it through. It's a glory gold for Canada. Kathy Lifting goes up to Graham, takes the lead, looks a winner, draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another fantastic interview episode. And we are returning to the sport of breakdancing, or as we, of course, have to call it, breaking. We spoke to Gerard Cabellon a few weeks back about the sport where we learnt a little bit more about the brand new sport that will be at Paris next year. And today we are speaking with one of Australia's best female breakers, Rachel Gunn, a.k.a. Ray Gunn. That's a big old name, great name. And this is a fascinating chat, learning about how she got involved in the sport, the journey that has taken her to world championships, national championships, and her hopes, of course, moving forward to be a history maker, potentially Australia's first ever female breaker at an Olympic Games. And similar to what Gerard talked about, there are obviously some negatives that come with breaking being an Olympic sport. The potential there that some of the cultural aspects of what breaking actually was created for may get lost in the way. But it's fascinating to sort of hear Rachel's take on that and where we might be with this sport in a few more years' time after the exposure that the Olympic brings. She also talks a lot about the female involvement in the sport, about how when she started really weren't any female breakers going around in her circles in Australia and then seeing her first female breaker and how that opened so many doors for her and other female breakers that are now out there competing across Australia and the world. So this is a great chat. You're going to learn a lot about her career and even more about the sport of breaking. Here's our chat with Australian breaker Rachel Gunn. month we had our very first taste of the sport of breaking here on off the podium we spoke to gerard cabellon aka b-boy kid tech to learn a little bit more about the new sport that will be at the paris olympics in 2024 and we're going to learn a little bit more about it today with one of australia's best female breakers she represented australia at the world championships in 2021 in paris has won several national titles and is also doing a lot of writing about the sport as well, studying the sport, which I am so intrigued to learn so much more about that aspect of it. Uh, pleasure to welcome to the show, Rachel Gunn, a.k.a. B-Girl Ray Gunn, to Off the Podium. <laughs> did I, did I say you. that properly, uh, you Rachel? You did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we get the audience cheering as well, by the way. Uh, it's good to always remember I have the studio audience. So do, you, do you prefer to be called Rachel or Ray Gunn? What do we, what do we call you for the, the next hour I've- or so? Either is good. Either. Okay. Yeah, right well, let's alternate. Yeah. We, we won't yeah, stick okay. to one. We'll <laughs> Keep just, it fresh. Uh, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll surprise you every now and then when it comes to calling you that. But I, I was so excited when we had Gerard on the show just to, to learn about this sport, learn everything about what we can expect in Paris and everything else in between and his journey. Mm. But obviously your journey, I, I'm here to learn about yours today. So obvious question for you today, Rachel. How do you get involved in, in breaking? How did this journey for you begin? Oh, yeah. Good question. Um, So I was introduced to breaking um, by my boyfriend. Uh, He was already breaking. He'd been breaking for 10 years. Um, And I'd always been into dance, into different styles of dance. Like many young Australian women, I was into jazz, tap and ballet and all that sort of stuff. Um, But I hadn't done any breaking or even really encountered the scene until I met him. And he was really encouraging for me to start learning breaking. Um, and he taught me a lot and he really supported me to, to get into breaking and to become a B-girl. And, and now we're married. so wow. <laughs> Happy ending. Happy ending. Yeah, yeah that's it, right. It worked out. Well, were you familiar with it sort of before you had met him or was it a case of like most people, I guess, you saw it in a movie once or you read about it in an article once back in the totally. day? Totally. Yeah, totally. Had seen it in movies, video clips, kind of like, you know, most of the the general population. And then, you know, uh, I met him and 
it was this whole world, you know, it was this whole other world in Sydney in Australia that I didn't even realize existed. You know, these, these training spots, um, these competitions, these battles, you know, going, going to these events and just all these people of, of such an amazing skill getting down. And it was just like, a, you know, um, it was a different world. How does that come up in conversation? Is that something you talk to him about straight away? Like when you first meet him, like, you know, Hey, these are my hobbies. I like this. I like this. And he's like, I like this. Oh, I'm, I'm a breaker. Or does it sort of like fourth or fifth date? Like, by the way, there's this thing I really like doing. Would you like to come and watch it? And then it kind of goes from there. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it came up pretty early when we were, you know, doing that initial getting to know each other, like, you know, what you do in your spare time and things like that. And I, and I think probably what one of the things that, first um <laughs> he's told me impressed him about me was because when he first said that he he breaks the first question I asked was not what most people asked of like oh you must be really strong or <laughs> you must be able to spin on your head or something like that I was just like oh wow cool what does that involve and so and it was so love already- right then that's when you feel like wow you're the first person to ask about my head will you yes. marry me basically yeah. <laughs> Something like that. From so, that point um, on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What an incredible was, story. Was there breaking at your wedding? I've got to ask that now. That you, you, there you, was. There was. Course. Great. Yeah. Yeah. There was. Um, and yeah, we had all our crew there, and and one of my crewmates even called me out in my wedding dress. I had to kick my <laughs> heels off and, and wow. get down because you can't say no to a call out. So, yeah. Thanks, Mighty Duck. Please, please tell me that there is video footage of that that you can share. <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to see someone break in a wedding dress. That's amazing. And it was a really long one with a. <laughs> as well it was nuts it was it was pretty channel seven if they're listening to this right now for the olympics they've got that footage ready to go should you make the olympics i'm telling you now they've learned that they've done their research and that is going to be shown on channel seven before the paris olympics yeah nice great yeah good Good job you probably wish you didn't admit that now but yeah probably it's obviously you talk about sort of doing other dance versions of sport. The, the one thing that i love learning from gerard is the word sport when it comes to breaking, because he sort of mentioned that it's something that maybe necessarily isn't technically a sport in some people's eyes. So, I mean, even I guess saying the words like that to some breakers is obviously a bit interesting, but did you sort of consider like when you were doing your other versions of dancing before you got into breaking sport, or are you sort of more on the case that they're more artistic and not necessarily sport in the technicality of the word? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I don't think I really started thinking about breaking as a sport or not, not to begin with anyway, it was, it was always uh, a dance and it was always a culture to me. Um, and obviously breaking has always been quite competitive and we've got a long history of these formalized competitions. Um, but I think it's only once you get to a certain level of breaking <laughs> that maybe you start thinking of it as a sport and start thinking about yourself um, as an athlete. And, um, but certainly with, you know, the Olympics um, and a lot of these really big international competitions. And once you start competing overseas, I think there is more and more overlap with sport in terms of the dedication, the training, the, the headspace that you need, the, um, that you need to get into. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot of overlap then when you get into that area. Were you involved in any other sports outside of dancing growing up? Uh, you know, were you an athletic child and sort of just tried your hand at many different things or was it sort of dancing and that was it? To continue with my stereotype of uh, classic white Australian girls, I did netball for most of my life. Yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty much all my sport, um, my sport that I did. So yeah, team sport. Um, and yeah, that was, you know, different levels of, of seriousness, but no, I was never, I was so, never elite or <laughs> that, that good. We usually sort of ask that one to sort of tie in of sort of like growing up with a love of the Olympics or if you ever sort of thought of the Olympics, obviously netball, not an Olympic sport, but being from Sydney, uh, obviously a certain event happened then in the year 2000. So did you ever get involved in watching the Olympics or did you go to anything back in 2000, things like that? Because obviously yeah. with breaking, it's not something you initially go into thinking I'm going to be an Olympian one day, given it's only just recently been added. Yeah, never, never did I think that breaking and the Olympics would ever be a thing and that I would ever potentially be at the Olympics. No, I was never sporty like that. 
you know, I watched the Olympics with my family. Um, you know, my, my mum's like an avid swimmer, swimming supporter. So we would always get into the swimming and watch that. Um, and, you know, I remember, you know, going around in, in 2000 and the Olympics being this really huge thing, but I was pretty young. And so I just didn't really kind of understand the significance of, of, you know, our city hosting the Olympic games. So it's, it's quite surreal to be where I am now doing this thing. Um, that's, that's now <laughs> an Olympic event. On the cusp, um, yeah. On, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it's obviously the very first dance sport to ever be included at the Olympics and, and very exciting for that. And that's obviously what we're doing a lot on this show is to learn a lot about it and kind of get people excited for it because watching the footage of it, it's just so interesting and fascinating to watch because going back to that point of you might have seen it in a movie, you might have seen it on TV, something along those lines. It's, it's much different to when you're actually watching an event. When you first mm. went to an event yourself, was it straight away you fell in love with it, you wanted to give it a try, or did it take you a little bit of, okay, this is interesting, not what I was expecting, maybe I'll give it a go? Oh, I think, yeah, look, the first event I went to, I, w- I was just completely wowed and amazed and just kind of, um, yeah, it, it was just, I've never seen anything like it. You know, most of the movies and, and things that you see and video clips that you see breaking and street dancing, it's, it's never a, a continuous portrayal of it. It's usually only just a snippet here or there, or it's usually very cringe. Mm. Um, and so this was, this was, uh, really, um, meaningful for all the people in the scene and in the community. And you can tell the, um, how important this event was and how they were showing their skill and to see the range of skill and the range of ways of moving and things like that, that would, that really surprised me as well. Um, and I think initially, because when I started and I really much of breaking's history, it has been, um, really male dominated. So, uh, really hasn't been a lot of women, uh, to do breaking. And so it actually wasn't until I saw another woman break, um, a few years later that I was like, okay, no, I I can, maybe I can do this. You know, it was a little bit too scary when I only saw all the guys Mm. getting down. Um, but it was when I saw another girl getting down in a, in a cipher at a, at a big competition, there were guys everywhere and she just didn't even care. And she just got down and I was like, Oh my gosh, that is the, the coolest woman I've ever seen in my life. I want to, I want to see if I can do this. And so I think that's also why for me battling and representing and always, uh, you know, ensuring that I'm at every competition uh, and event has been, has been really important to, because I know how important that is for, for other women to think who are thinking about breaking or maybe don't realize that they can break. So I read a, an article where sort of a, a, you'd mentioned that and, you know, seeing that event from where you were at that point when you first got started to where we are now, I believe at the time of recording this, I saw on your Instagram, I think it was 10 years basically to the day you've yeah. competed in your first competition. So have you seen that changed dramatically in 10 years with women getting involved in breaking or is it still a slow progress that maybe might have more of a spark once the Olympics happens and it gets a bit more exposure? Yeah, ebbs and flows. So when I first started, I think there were, there were more women and then kind of there was a bit of a drop off. And then over the last few years, there's definitely been more women again. And I think one of the reasons for that is that there has been a lot more b-girl competitions around the world. Um, uh, particularly in Europe, there's, there's been, uh, some really important B-girl competitions. And I think that has really given a platform for girls to, um, gain that experience and to get that, um, develop those skills and to really start to level up and to also develop a community as well. I mean, this is one of the great things about breaking, right? The, you do have the opens competitions. So most of the competitions I enter are against guys. And I love that. I think that's great. Um, but B girl competitions, I think have been really important in, um, creating a maybe less intimidating environment for girls to gain some skills and battle experience and to also start to, um, get the opportunity to, to level up a bit more. And so I think that combined with social media and, you know, that increased visibility 
of girls. You can, it's much easier for me to go online and just kind of follow some, some girls in a, in a different country or to see some battles of girls in a different country. I don't have to wait for the next jam. Um, so I think that accessibility of those representations and, and seeing those girls has definitely helped, um, uh, you know, increase the number of women that are in the scene. Cause it does seem like a sport where, you maybe don't necessarily need to divide it by gender, as in you don't necessarily have to have a men's and a women's gold medal at the Olympics because yeah. it's, it's a, a form where you are just kind of got stylistic merits, right? It's sort yes. of not based on obviously there is strength involved, but it's not it's not 100 metres. You're not having to be the first to finish the race. So yeah. is that sort of I guess the question is, is it more of a common thing to have the mixed genders up against, you know, men versus women or is it more common now because of an Olympics where you've got a separate men and women's competition to separate them? If that makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. With the Olympics, it's become more common to separate things. And that's, that I think would be one of the, the negative um, consequences of the Olympics. Well, on the one hand, it's great that girls essentially have equal opportunities to guys uh, in the Olympics. You've got two guys, you've got two girls. That's amazing. But so many of our competitions now are just be boys or just be girls. And I really like breaking competitions. I like the opens. Um, and so that's been a weird thing to have to adapt to, to suddenly the big old battles, no longer just being a platform. It's kind of something that you have to do if you want to take this pathway. Um, so, uh, but I think certainly the, the mixed team, the mixed crew uh, or just crew battles, I think are certainly more interesting. And I think, I wonder how it's going to go at this Olympics. I wonder if they're going to introduce other categories and maybe have uh, larger numbers of competitors because the European um, WDSF European champs last year, I think they had the one-on-one B-boy, one-on-one B-girl, and then they had country five V five. And oh. that was so interesting to watch. I found that so, so much more engaging yeah. <laughs> and just exciting to watch having, cause you had so many different styles and skills and um, moves and, and it was a really dynamic. Um, all of the battles were really dynamic. That- so I wonder if that's, you know, if they're going to, this is a kind of trial and then we'll, we'll see. Maybe they'll add some more. Wait, when you do that, like, am I am I picturing this right? You got five people on the mat at the same time, or is it like you tag each other in, like after every you know thirty or so seconds? Yeah. So the way that a battle works is each side takes a turn. Right. So one side will go out. You know, if it's a one on one, it's just that one dancer goes, and then that other dancer goes. Um, if when you get into to to more larger groups of people or larger numbers of people, sorry. Um, Anyone from this side will go, anyone from that side will go. But the interesting thing about uh, these sorts of battles is that sometimes there are routines. So for this side's turn, they'll do a routine. Um, So they don't know what music's going to play. They've just kind of got a routine and they've got to try and make it work with the music. And then maybe at the end of their two counts of eight, they'll bring one of their members in. And so then they've got like a really strong round. And then the other team are going to go, oh, man, have we got a routine? Let's let's try and bring out our routine. So it's, like, really interesting then what gets thrown out and how they manage the energy of the battle as well. Yeah. Which is what I love learning when we spoke to Gerard <laughs> is that level of the music, that it's yes. not figure skating, it's not gymnastics where you've got a track ready to go and you've got to mm-hmm. practice for that routine. You're out there. And, I mean, they could play Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go for all you know. I mean, they're not. I'm sure they're not. But, like, it could throw you out, you know. They could yeah. play something completely ridiculous. But I, I love that element of it where it's so unique and that it's not so structured like so many of the judge-based sports in the Olympics yeah. where we really don't know what we're going to see every time we get a, a bout, really, do we? Yeah, you really don't know what you're going to see. You don't... <sighs> You don't know what song's going to be played. You don't know what moves your opponent's going to throw down. So there is, you need to be able to respond in the moment. Um, And you've got to have that ability to freestyle that level of improvisation as well, as well as to be able to execute and to um, execute your rehearsed um, maybe combos and and, um, moves. So, yeah, you're not ever going to see the same performance twice. Which is just really? it's fascinating because this is where I think so many people don't know much about it and sort of when it got yeah. added to the Olympics were sort of a, a little bit surprised because the Olympics really does have a lot of structure to their events in the fact that 
even the judging sports are so structured. You've got to hit certain routines, elements, and all that sort of stuff. We don't really have a sport where it can be so open on that level. And that's mm. where I think it's going to be fascinating. You talk about where it's going to take the sport at future Olympics. I for sure see mixed events coming because the Olympics are all for mixed events. Obviously, they're, right. they're adding so many now. The issue always being is with the Summer Olympics in particular, they've only got a certain amount of medals, they've only got a certain amount of athletes. So generally if they add a mixed event, they have to take an mm. event off another sport and then that sport gets a bit shitty. So maybe we need to make breaking a winter sport because the winter's got <laughs> plenty of spots available. So, you know, how are you, how are you breaking in snow, Rachel? Like I don't know if yeah. you've tried that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There are some funny videos sometimes of, of breakers in Finland or, or Norway <laughs> or something that are going out and doing a set in the snow just as like a funny thing. And that's just completely wild to me. Yeah. But actually the youth Olympics, they did have a mixed category. Mm-hmm. So they had the one-on-one B-boy, one-on-one B-girl. And then they had like the top ranked B-boy was with the lowest ranked B-girl. Top ranked B-girl was with the lowest ranked B-boy. And so that led to really interesting results. Um, and I think might have to double check, but I think the, the top ranked B girl, okay, double check. Go for might it. Have won. <laughs> <laughs> we want to be correct on this show, Rachel, for once. It's been a while. Um, <laughs> this is the beauty of having computers in front of us for these interviews, right? <laughs> Oh, I can tell yeah. you're a university lecturer when you're straight oh, away. I'm not going like, to say it. I'm not going to say this it without. <laughs> yeah. Um, mixed breaking team. Yeah, that's right. Okay, good. I was right. I was right. Have faith in yourself, Rachel. Do it. Um, yeah, the top ranked B girl with the lowest ranked B boy got the gold for the mixed doubles. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the top ranked B boy um, with the lowest ranked. B-girl got bronze. So really interesting results. It, we've seen that so many in so many of the mixed events at the Olympics, both in the summer and the winter when they add that. It's sort of a, an extra element. And, yeah, the Youth Olympics are renowned for starting that. I think very right back in 2010, the first Youth Olympics, they had many mixed relay events. And I guess the difference they do in the Youth Olympics too is they have mixed nationality events so, you know, mm. you, you could basically, as an Australian, you could be have a, a Kiwi dancer with you or an American, whereas I don't know if they will ever do that sort of in the, the, the full Olympics. But um, yes, sort of the experimental phase they do in the Olympics, which I can imagine like in a sport which seems so individual, it's obviously nice when you're with your crew and you're able to do a thing like that because just the camaraderie and breaking seems incredible that when you're actually competing together must just add another level to it. It adds a, yeah, it adds a whole nother level to it. To, um, and because your energy feeds off each other and sometimes the crew will respond to a, a move that you're doing during your round. And so then that kind of um, exemplifies the move as well, particularly if it's to the music. And so it just adds a whole nother, whole nother layer and um, level of uh, energy. I don't know. I, there's been, there's been so many one-on-one competitions that I'm like, yeah, Crew competitions, bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do, do it that way. We, when it comes to training outside of just the, the dancing aspect of it, do you sort of have a, a particular routine? Are you, are you hitting the gym? Is there sort of some aerobic exercises you're doing that helps you sort of with performing at all? Oh, gosh, yes. There's so much <laughs> that you've got to do, which is why it's so funny because, as I said, I wasn't really a sporty person growing up and now I'm like doing all of the things and and it's just like, man, I just wanted to dance. <laughs> like, <laughs> what am I doing these weights for, this HIIT training, this cardio, you know, it's a rowing machine, going for a run. Everyone hates a rowing machine. That's the worst. <laughs> oh. And it's just like all this stuff, extra stuff that you have to do, you know, spending like, you know, three hours stretching. Um, it's it's a lot of stuff that you've got to manage on top of just your, your training, um, going over your moves, developing new moves, as well as, developing your style and fixing up your form, you know, um, working out new ways that you can improvise to the music. Yeah. It's, and, it's a lot of different things. And do you have coaches? Is it, we are at a level in the sport in Australia where you can have a breaking coach? <laughs> well, yeah, the Australian breaking association, uh, does have, um, coaches for each state and we've kind of gone, um, you know, up and down in terms of how many, how regular our, our coaching sessions um, have been. Um, so, uh, but yeah, we've got a number of coaches uh, in Australia, in New South Wales, and we've got a, um, a, a big training camp coming up in a couple of weeks. 
Um, but it's, you know, it, this, this is hard. We're still so early on in this kind of sportification of breaking um, that, you know, the, the time requirements and the ability to, um, to coach and, and to give that time and energy when, you know, we're all still, everyone's still poor, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, everyone's still volunteering and everyone's kind of still doing this for the love. So building up that infrastructure, I think is still really hard. Which is, I just love that aspect of a new sport that gets introduced to the Olympics. It's not say a, a sport that you would automatically think like if, cricket gets added to the Olympics, for example, they're already on a world stage. They're going, they're yeah. already doing that as a full-time job where we had Tom O'Halloran, a sports climber on just before Tokyo when sports climbing had been added. And it was a similar thing, sort of hearing some of the stuff that Gerard talked about that you're talking about. And it was, funding was a big thing because this is a yeah. very tiny niche sport. And Tom's yep. story about qualifying for the Olympics and then even being able to afford to go was incredible. So Obviously, yeah. we're still at that early phase right now, and I'll talk about what the qualification system might look like. But it's it's fascinating, obviously, that, say, when you go to a World Championships in Paris when you did, like, funding for that, like, does that come from the association? Do you have to pay for that completely yourself? Because we're so sort of early in that, as you say, sportification of breaking. Yeah, yeah. No, we did get some funding from uh, Dance Sport Australia, um, and uh, um, possibly even that came from the Australian Olympic Committee or something, but... You know, flights to Paris are expensive mm -hmm. <laughs> and it did not cover a lot. <laughs> so I think this is, um, but it's certainly a start. It was the first time, you know, anyone's ever got any funding. So that's like a huge start. Um, and everyone's, you know, super appreciative of, of getting that opportunity because it allowed us to, to start to compete at that international level. Um, but yeah, funding is, is, a, is um, a huge issue, but I think just also, playing catch up, trying to build the infrastructure, like breakers didn't know it was going to be an Olympic sport. You know, it wasn't breakers that submitted breaking <laughs> to the Olympic committee for consideration. It was the world dance sport federation. And so breakers around the world had to play catch up and go, no, hold on. If you're going to do this, you need us and we're going to do this the right way. And we're going to ensure the community is involved and that people from the community are the ones that are designing the judging system, that are designing the competition, uh, how the event runs, the flooring, that's picking the judges, all that sort of thing. And so we saw that at the Youth Olympics and we, we had people from the community really leading that. And, you know, I think that's why it was so successful, in all honesty. And so it's been a huge um like whirlwind <laughs> trying to build up all this infrastructure while the ground keeps moving and changing, you know, yeah. and they've, they've changed, like uh, it's taken them a while to work out how the, the qualification system is going to work and you thinking you're going to get one thing and then that changes. So yeah, it's been a very interesting time. What's all that fascinating layers to it? Because again, mm. let's use cricket as an example. I'm sure if they added cricket to the Olympics in 2028 and very high chance it will be, it's pretty simple. 2020 cricket, this is how it works. These are the countries. Boom, that's how it's in. Whereas a sport, as you're saying, like breaking, which it's not even the breakers who were fighting for it, as you're saying. Like that's so yeah. fascinating. And then we learned this with Gerard because it's a case of it's not like a world championship or a national championship or all these sort of stuff have been going on forever. These are things that are only slowly being added. So you've got to work out how you qualify. How many spots mm. does the country get? How does the country choose their athletes? How does it get judged? I mean, these are obviously still questions right now, Rachel, that are still being answered, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the one hand, like I'll say, we've had big worldwide competitions for a long time, you know, over 20 years. But these are usually, you know, one single competition um, or, you know, there have been some series of competitions, but we haven't had to deal with this kind of equalizing governance, transparency, standardization on a world level ever before. Um, and that kind of collaboration that's required between countries as well Um yeah, it's, it's been, it's been really full on and, and interesting. Um, I forgot what your question was now. Uh, the, my questions always start one way and go another. It's all right. It's fine. You, you don't, the, That's how the, my answers go. Good. You're, you're fitting very well on the show. When you found out that breaking was going to be in the Olympics, what was your initial thoughts? Were you, were you excited or was there a little bit of sort of like something, oh, okay, this might be an issue? Yeah, well, I thought it was going to be an issue initially when I heard of how it was um, submitted and how it was initially approved 
um, that it was the World Dance Sport Federation and, and not breaking. So I was really concerned that this would be an example of them kind of just thank you very much, taking away breaking and, and we'll use it for our own organization to, to lift us, us up uh, with no consideration for how it, the dance should be practiced and um, the community and cultural aspect to it. So initially I was really concerned and I've, to be honest, I've toed and froed <laughs> so much because I think it is great in terms of the opportunities that it gives, you know, there's a lot of people that have been breaking for a long time, you know, 20, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years in, you know, in Australia longer. And, and, you know, they haven't got any res- like um, respect from the broader public for that, for that knowledge, for that dedication, for all that hard work, for that sacrifice. So I think this is really positive for those people because suddenly people are like, oh my gosh, have you been breaking for 20 years? Wow, you're such an expert. That's really impressive. <laughs> Whereas before they're like, oh, you're weird. Yeah. So <laughs> I think just that shift in public perspe- perspe- um, perspective, perception, both of those words at the same time, um, is, has been um, really valuable and meaningful for people in the scene. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it's, I am wary about the, the potential for exploitation and for using breaking, you know, just for commercial purposes to make a bit of money, um, make a lot of money for some organizations and the dancers actually get very little. Um, and for, you know, new studios to, to pop up and people to be teaching and they're not be teaching breaking in the context in which it emerged. You know, we have to remember that this is a form that was created in New York by African-American and Puerto Rican kids in response to a very specific socio-political situation. You know, so we can't just lose that context and the way in which that is embodied in the movements of breaking in that kind of um, the creativity, the style, the, the battling, all these kind of cultural practices are located within a very specific context. So I'm really worried at times that we're going to lose that perspective and that context mm. um, with breaking getting more and more popular and widespread. It is that double-edged sword. And we've had sports like that at the Olympics. I remember when snowboarding was introduced in 98, there were questions about that with the culture around snowboarding. We've just seen it with skateboarding, of course, too, at the mm. Summer Olympics. And I think from what snowboarding is generally shown, it's sort of retained the same sort of culture around it without it being sort of too ruined. And from what we've seen, the one Olympic skateboarding's been at, you know, that was a huge success. It seems similar to breaking in a way that just that culture and community that the athletes have. You know, we had the, the women's final where basically it didn't matter whether you were winning gold or coming eight, they were all hugging each other and yes. supporting each other no matter what. Yes. So, And from what I've seen of breaking, it seems like a yes. community where that's that way. So it is going to be fascinating to see how it comes about Paris. And I think, too, the interesting thing is given that the next Olympics are then in L.A., sort mm-hmm. of in the U.S., and I know back in 84 they had some breaking uh, showcases, I think, in the opening ceremony from memory. So mm-hmm. not quite New York, obviously different side of the country, but it's mm. at least sort of home for the next Olympics in a way. Yes, yes, I think so. I'd be very surprised if they didn't include it or um, in, in LA. Um, I think it's a really exciting opportunity for it to be in America um, in uh, 2028. And, and then, then of Brisbane. course, it's, yeah. and then it's in Brisbane. Yeah, Just is so... Australia going to be the country that takes it out? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's when they're like, "Ah, bugger, breaking crickets in." Here you go, yes. come on. But you would have won two gold by then, though, Rachel. They have to keep a sport <laughs> where. We've got a guaranteed gold medalist, right? So, you know, just just saying with that. When it comes to venues, this is not something we really touched on with Gerard, but is there a specific breaking venue or can you just use any sort of hall with a mat and kind of go that way? (laughs) Um, Halls are pretty good, actually, um, because they've got the lovely wooden floor. I'd say wooden floors are the, the nicest if you if you're going to go the cheapest option, um, obviously at the Youth Olympics they had some kind of cool, impressive um, floor material um, that I haven't actually seen elsewhere. I think maybe it was could be similar to what they've used at um, what they used at Outbreak, um, but uh, it's a bit soft, but it's flat. It's got a bit of give. It's not too slippery. You know, there's all these things that the floor needs to be, which is why wooden floors are, are, are pretty classic, um, uh, you know, pretty perfect for breaking. Um, 
but yeah, uh, nice big space and obviously competitions. This is a big thing for breaking. It shouldn't just be the competition. There should be a space for the competitors to cipher for them to jam, warm up. Um, you know, we, we say exchange outside of that formalized competition. So usually halls <laughs> tick all those boxes. Yeah. So, so explain a bit more about the ciphering. Is that sort of in a similar way to say like a swimmer's got a warm up, warm down pool where they're kind of just doing slow laps to get them in that zone. Is that sort of a similar thing for breakers? That's yeah. That's one, that's one way that it's, it can, it can be used, but also um, sometimes in particular, if you're, if you're not still in the competition, um, people might keep jamming and they, and they start to have a conversation with each other through dancing. So that maybe they're playing on a particular move or variation um, and the whole cipher kind of uh, becomes a conversation. Um, and it's a different, you throw down different moves or you've got a different set structure in the cipher than you do in a competition. It's much freer space. Um, and yeah, I think it's really important that we ensure that our jams have the cipher space because it's such, it's always been such an important part of the culture. Is there such thing as a signature move in breaking? Because it's so free-willed and the fact that it can be so creative and you never know really what you're going to do. But can you be practicing for so long on something that you go, okay, if type of music is a bit this way, I'm going to throw this down and this is now Ray Gun's signature move that, you know, <laughs> you're kind of known for basically from that point. <laughs> Look, yeah, you, you you do develop signature moves for sure. Um, do you have some, one? You know. Do you have a signature move? <laughs> Yeah, I think I've got some moves that people would, would point at and go, yeah, that's ray gun for sure. Do you just do the um, finger points like with your finger guns because it's like ray gun, like pew, pew. Like, yeah, well, you can no. steal that for the Olympics if you don't. You're welcome. Okay, we'll keep that on board. Yeah, yep. great. It's good yep. to have in my pocket. Um, but, yeah, no, you do because it's imp- that's the other thing in breaking. It's really important that you develop your own moves. It's not just about learning the foundation and learning the foundational steps you also need to add to it. So you need to come up with your own variations or come up with your own, um, your own combos, your own moves and add to the vocabulary of breaking. It's not just about taking, it's also about giving back. So creativity is really important. In terms of the world championships, you competed in Paris uh, in Mm -hmm. 2021. Take us through that experience, getting chosen, getting over there and, and sort of, was that something that maybe, lit bit more of a spark for you to push towards an Olympics? Not saying you weren't already hoping to get to Paris for the Olympics, but was that something mm. being on that stage, representing your country, wearing the green and gold? Like what was all that sort of like and how was that lit that fire for Paris 2024? <laughs> wearing the green and gold. I think I was wearing pink and white. <laughs> <laughs> the national colours of breaking in Australia. <laughs> um, yeah, that was an amazing experience and it was – you know, I keep using the word surreal, but it was to, to go over to Paris um, and, and be part of a team uh, representing Australia. Um, and, you know, my husband was over there as uh, the Austra- one of the Australian coaches as well. So uh, it was amazing that there was, um, you know, five of us, uh, six of us, a photographer over there as well. Um, it was, to be honest, the fact that we were still kind of in COVID made it, a very different experience because we all had all these wristbands depending on the country and level of risk of country we were from. Wow. So we were all like, <laughs> they were trying to keep us all separate. And so it was really quite weird at times because it was in, um, you yeah, know, beginning of December. And so I think, you know, maybe there was like another wave that had just finished or. Was so was Australia in like the bad cat where we sort of like the. No, the we were shun- green. Oh, we were green. Okay. That's <laughs> we were right. green. Go. Right. We were fine. Um, but they tried to keep us separate from some other countries, which was really like uh, frustrating because then we didn't get the same opportunity to connect and, you know, network and meet people from other countries, like, like the, the red zone countries, like, <laughs> like Russia. In, how does that work in competition then though? Like, uh, do you have to have extra social it distancing? Didn't. <laughs> it didn't. It worked in the, it worked in the sign up. <laughs> right. It did not work in the competition. It kind of defeats the purpose of that. I think then when it, yeah. it kind of goes that way, but I mean, but it was, it was, yeah, it was crazy when like you're lining up for the the prelim and you, you know, you're, you're waiting for your number to be called and there's like, you know, each of you in a corner and each person takes turns and you just, you know, you don't know what song you're going to get and you've got to try and do your prelim at the other people in your corner um, as well as to the judges 
as well as do your best set. Um, and, you know, people are announcing the whole time on the mic, getting the next lot of people ready. So it's quite a daunting um, experience and quite um, overwhelming at times. And you get, you know, I think my set was like a minute wow. uh, and then that's it, <laughs> you know, that's it. So uh, you, you, the mental preparation is, um, is on another level too. Cause I, I can just imagine just again, going back to that whole nature of you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what you're going to do because again, a, a gymnast knows what they're going to do. A figure skater knows what they're going to do. They're yeah. going into that routine. Whereas as you say, you don't know the music. You've got 60 seconds to throw it down and it could be yeah. the best type of music you want and be like, oh, shit, not this style of music. This isn't yes. for me. <laughs> I know. Look, you do have an idea for a prelim. You do have an idea of what you're going to do because you want to do your best moves. So you do have a bit of an idea. Maybe um, the, something different happens when you get down or maybe something different happens when you do hear the song, but you do go in, well, at least I go in with a rough plan. Some people might go in with a full set uh, from start to finish or, um, and just kind of, you know, have little bits of improvisation in between. But yeah, I think then once you get to the battles, it gets a lot more fluid, I think, but prelims. Yeah. It's you're competing with so many people for a few spots that you've got to make sure you do your best moves. When it comes to the clothing aspect, one thing, speaking of skateboarding is that, you know, they kind of try to retain that style of the skateboarding, you know, sort of the baggy pants, sort of that culture they do in the snowboarding as well. Obviously Mm -hmm. we're a bit away from the Olympics just yet. And I'm sure you probably won't be allowed to wear pink and white at the Olympics. I don't know if the AOC (laughs) would uh, be on board with that. You could talk to them. I don't know, but like, (laughs) How important is that for your competition? Because I can imagine if all of a sudden they're like, you're going to wear a skin suit, that's not going to help you in breaking, is it? And it's also retaining the cultural aspect of it as well. So do you put much thought? Is that a big weighing aspect on, say, yourself and other competitors that you've got to look a certain way too when you're out there competing? Well, it's not just that you've got to look a certain way. You know, you want to look fresh. But it's also the way that the clothing makes you feel and what it enables you to do. So there's different preferences around shoes, around sneakers, different sneakers will have a different feel between runners and more flat sold um, sneakers, um, thinner casings, thicker casings, you know, it's, so it's, it's really, and each sneaker gives also a different kind of aesthetic to the way that you break. Same with pants, you know, a certain kind of, um, you know, um, Track pants, maybe with a more slippery material, you can do a lot more spinny and slidey moves. Or maybe you're someone that likes wearing jeans. Maybe you like a lot of a, a bit of a heavier feel in your legs. Um, baggier, make your your legs when you move uh, look bigger. Or maybe you want them tighter so that you can, I don't know, do kind of more fast stuff and, and have a cleaner look. Same with the shirt. Do you have like a tighter shirt that you tuck in or, you know, real tight? Or do you have a real kind of baggy look? Um, and headwear, of course, yeah. are you going to do stuff on your head? Do you need to, are you going to do stuff on your head here, on your head here, on your head here? What do you, what do you need to wear on your head and what's going to stay on your head as well? Are you going to do stuff on your arms? Do you need to wear a long sleeve top on your arms? Are you going to wear the long sleeve top all day? Or are you going to wear a jumper that you take on and off? So there's so much that you have to consider. And that's why everyone's got a little bit of a different style. So it's going to be interesting to see if they do have tracksuits, country outfits, um, because people wear different things. People have different preferences in breaking um, and they wear the same thing for years, you know, same sort of thing. Because it's like it is fascinating to think that because I I know, say, for snowboarding, say Team USA kind of did your stylized baggy pants or Sean White's wearing a certain thing and obviously the downhill skiers aren't wearing that. But we didn't really see too much of that with the skateboarding. You know, I, Poppy Olsen was yes. just sort of wearing the, the standard uh, ASICS team issue shirt with a bit of a baggier pants. So it'll mm. be interesting as the sports develop with the countries because I can imagine that there's got to be some input that you can give the AOC going like, look, we can't really wear what the rugby players are going to wear or the swim. Like we need our own style because this doesn't work for us in our sport. Yeah, yeah. That's right, because the style of clothing also, you know, relates to the the style of the way that you move and the kind of moves that you do and, and things like that. So, 
it would be good if they've got a bit of flexibility, like a couple of different tops that you can choose from yeah. in different sizes. Uh, Cause you know, for example, I wear like an XL or two XL men's top. <laughs> so I hope that they've got um, options for, for women as well. That's not just like small or medium. Um, and, and so that you can try and work it into to your normal wardrobe. Um, but still it's going to be different because you, I'm used to wearing a, a one specific kind of jumper always when I break. So that. Well, that's... just just saying this now, the figure skaters are allowed to wear fancy, amazing <laughs> costumes that don't just have to be green and gold, right? So you know, True. the gymnasts True. can wear cool Leo t- leotards. So just saying, yes, you know, give some creativity there, Rachel. A couple that's of right. things before we let you go, just in terms of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I, I, again, the qualification things like that are obviously still being ironed out, but sort of how do you now focus on that goal of, of making the Olympics? Is it just a case of going into as many competitions as you can being exposed out there a lot so you can get the points up or however it works. And what would it mean to you to, to make an Olympic games and be Australia's first ever female breaker at the Olympics? Oh, that's good. That was a few questions in yeah. one. <laughs> Again, off the point, I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, I, I get things done really quickly. But, you know. Very efficient. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, my, my goal has always been to enter as many competitions as I can. In terms of the Olympics, um, I think our best chance of qualifying would be if we had an Oceania championship. Um, many of these other competitions where you've got to score a certain number of points, I think it's just going to be really hard for people from this region to be able to do because there's so many comps that you need to do and they're all over Europe and the States. And uh, I just don't think we've got the infrastructure um, or the reputation to be able to um, get those points. Um, So our best chance is to get an Oceania championship. Um, If that does happen, then it's, you know, all on that one competition that will decide who goes and represents Oceania. Could be anyone from Australia, New Zealand, you know, Papua New Guinea, the whole region. Um, One B-boy, one B-girl. So leading up to that, yes, I will continue to enter as many um, competitions as I can, as I always have. Um, But also, you know, any opportunities I get to compete overseas, I'm I'm grabbing them um, as soon as I can because that experience of competing in those high level, high stakes competitions. It's a completely different feeling and a different, um, just a different experience. Yeah. Um, what would it mean? Mm. <laughs> I'm trying to go through your question. Uh, you can write it down if you want to. I know you're very structured. You were, yeah. you know. Structure my answer. Yeah. Um, uh, what would it mean? I, it's, as I said before, it's still so surreal. I would never was sporty. I never was an athletic kid. <laughs> so I was a dancer. That's so um, it, it would, I think, be phenomenal, I think. And it would, um, I think it would be so amazing for me, for everything that I've kind of gone through, you know, um, building up as a, as a B girl and, and some of the, the struggles with that. And, you know, also now getting on in life as well. I, it was so awesome at the skating, seeing like some older athletes as well. I thought yeah. that was really cool. There's a 40 so, something year old from Brazil. Wasn't there? I, think. I yeah. know. And that was amazing. Yeah. The fact that you can get such a diversity of people at, yep. at these new sports in the Olympics. So it's, it's great. Yeah. That they sort of, cause I can imagine there would be some who, have been doing it for so long. And as soon as you hear the word Olympics, it's like, okay, I can maybe go on a few years. It's, it's the same thing with like Brisbane getting the Olympics. It's We're seeing a lot of athletes who go like, oh, wasn't maybe thinking of going on for 10 years, but I mean, a home yeah. Olympics, like, yeah, you yeah. know, why, why would I uh, say no to that possible opportunity? Also, you, I mentioned to at the beginning, you're sort of studying. You, you Part of what you are doing in your studies and your job is sort of, is that a PhD in breaking you're sort of doing or similar thing like that? Tell us about that and how that came about and sort of what you're doing with that. Yeah. So, um, so I've got my PhD. Got your I PhD. Finished, I got my PhD. Did yeah, my I, should, PhD. I didn't call you doctor. That was a third option to call you today between Rachel and Reagan. Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I did my PhD. I, my, my thesis looked at breaking uh, and that's because, so my undergrad and my honours, I always, um, I studied like popular music and cultural studies. I was always really interested in these kind of subcultures and, and youth cultures and these kind of alternative 
um, spaces in which people um, make meaning out of um, different activities or through different modes of consumption and, and things like that. And so when I you know, got introduced to breaking, um, I started also looking at what literature there was on breaking and there, there really wasn't much at all um, at that time. And so I saw that as an opportunity to start to um, uh, contribute to the conversation and start to document some of the amazing things about this scene um, and to start to, yeah, have some academic literature, particularly from someone who is a practicing breaker who is in the scene yeah. um, on breaking. So, yeah, so I did my, my PhD on breaking and, I, and I've published on breaking and right. talk about breaking and my life is breaking. It's breaking. Gee, <laughs> podcast, breaking podcast. You think about doing breaking, that? You can yeah. do that. What are the What are your students think? Like when they find it, do they know you're breakers? Are you talking about it all the time? Or uh, sometimes, yeah. Especially when I've been having to leave during semester to go and compete, and they're like, "Where are you going?" I was like, "Oh, well, actually, I'm I'm gonna break <laughs> <laughs> in you know in Paris or in in Korea just casually. Like, you know, just yeah. go going to Paris. Do they ever try and throw it down to you? Like I'm like, oh yeah, I can break. You know. And and then in the middle of the lecture, like, you know, let's do it. Go on. No, they do. They do want to see me get down though. And they, and they, despite their pleads in class for me to demonstrate in the middle of the classroom <laughs> between desks um, in the carpeted classroom. Um, <laughs> doesn't quite work yeah, that way. No, it doesn't quite work that no. way. So, I, yeah. I, I liked asking Gerard about how he got his name. Your name, I feel is kind of obvious. Ray Gunn, yes. like that kind of works that Rachel way. Rachel Gunn. Yeah, Gunn. not that yeah. way. Uh, I've got to ask, if I was to get a B-boy name, like do you have any suggestions for me at all? Like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not cool enough to give myself one, so I feel like I can get you Well, to... no, it's kind of got to be given to you. Yeah. That's the well, thing. Okay, well, there it you goes. go. What, what better it opportunity does. to maybe have Australia's first ever female breaker right now to give oh, you me... You didn't even give me any notice on this. It's just like... What we're doing off the podium. We're on the spot show. It's just, you know, I do a bit of research, lazy. Just oh, wake up five minutes before the interview. Here it is. Cruise, <laughs> cruisy life. It's great. Uh, I feel like there's got to be some play on your surname, Waterworth. Mm. Waterworth. <laughs> oh. uh, my partner's very good at coming up with names. He comes up with a lot of names for people. So I feel like if, I, if, he's if just going to be if I'm like, you on the spot, you come up with this? If I'm putting you on the spot... <laughs> then feel free to pass it on to him and then he can always email it through to me later if that's, you know. Oh, yes, and you can update your yeah. listeners. Yeah. This is the, this is the name. I that can, has come up yeah. With. yeah. You know, I, I managed. I'm going to think on it. Okay, good, please do, because I, I managed to get um, a bobsled named after me for the Winter Olympics. So Amazing. I am, I'm now striving to get a B-boy name okay. to try and get a bit yeah. of street cred for podcasting, yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> Future. So I look forward to that. I look forward to your husband's input. Last question I want to ask you, and this is a fresh, you're the first person, well, technically the second person to get asked this one. This was born <laughs> on our last interview where, long story short, meatloaf became the subject of conversation. Mm-hmm. I asked this question the to our- The food or the band? The, the man, the man, the, the man. myth, the legend himself. She could not answer this question because she was way too young to even know any of his music. So I'm going to ask this to you right now. Rachel Gunn, what is your favourite meatloaf song? Oh, um, I like, I know the song, but I can't think of the name. Sing it. You can sing it if you want to. You know, like the, it starts like on a hot summer night, you know. Oh, the, um, it was a hot summer night. Oh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yes, you took the words right out of my mouth. It must have been while you were kissing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good song. Yes. All right. I like this question. So glad that somehow Meatloaf can come up in an interview and now this is a standard question we're going to ask on this show. So yep. you are welcome. Nice. Fantastic. That I mean, that it really took a turn. It, look, <laughs> I'm telling you now, you did this interview and thinking like, okay, we're going to talk about this. You never thought that this is the direction it was going to take. So no. No, that's use right. it in inspiration in Paris. Halfway through yeah. your, your mat, like you're going for gold. And you're like, oh, I remember that time I got asked that question about meatloaf and my new B-boy, whatever he's called now. Like it just, <laughs> inspiration. It works yeah, that way. Nice. Rachel, okay. if people want to follow your journey between now and Paris, social media, websites, anything like that, where can people stay up to date with you? On my Instagram. So raygun143 is because – that 143 Liverpool Street familiar is my crew, so I've got to give a big shout-out to my crew as well. Please do, absolutely. I, I am so looking forward 
to seeing breaking at the Olympics and seeing you wear that green and gold and however they format <laughs> the uniform for you. But such a pleasure to chat with you today, Rachel. We uh, All the best of luck for you towards Paris and we'll, we'll get you back on after you've got that gold medal around your neck. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Ben. And a massive, massive thanks to Rachel for her time there. And I can tell you that in between the ending of that interview and the recording of this outro, I officially have a B-boy name as given to me by Rachel and her husband. You can just call me B-boy worthy. (laughs) Complete with sound effects here. I don't know if that added or just took away from it there, but B-boy worthy. I, I will take that now with me for the rest of my life. And hopefully if I learn how to break dance, then that's what you can hear about me at the Olympics one day. So uh, I, I'll i take that. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And a great chat there with Rachel, just learning everything about her perspective of the sport. And I always love hearing kind of that double-edged sword about how it can be a positive and a negative for a sport such as breaking to be in the Olympics. So it'll be interesting to see as she sort of talked about there, the development of the sport whether or not this will add to it, hinder it, and all that kind of stuff as well moving forward. But definitely should be in LA in 2028. I think that's a given. And will it be in Brisbane? Well, who knows? Possibly. I think that if it's popular enough, it will probably stay on the agenda there. And as we say, Rachel could be a multiple gold medalist by then going into Brisbane. So uh, keep an eye on that space as well. So big thanks to Rachel for her time. And uh, this is B-Boy Worthy. Here, wrapping things up a little bit further. If you want to see the video version of that chat, then of course you can hit us up on YouTube, search for Off the Podium, and you can find all our other video interviews on there as well. And if you want to hear the audio version, you're listening to it right now, of course. Subscribe to us on the podcast platform that you're listening to us on, or wherever good podcasts are available, and hit subscribe. Subscribe, that's the word. And also leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show, as we would on social media, Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, you name it, we are on them. And hit us a message. Let us know what you're thinking of the show or if you've got any requests for guests. We had a great message during the week from a listener who wished to track down a guest to get on the show. So we followed through with their tip. We reached out to that athlete and we are in the process of trying to arrange an interview with that athlete. So you could be listening to this and you want athlete A from country B let us know and we will definitely see what we can do. We can find out what their favourite meatloaf song is. How great was that to be able to bring that up here on the show after our chat with Olivia in the last episode. So very exciting to kind of put that to use. And I will say, though, that sadly the meatloaf question will drop away at least probably for a couple of months because our next stack of episodes are already recorded. So therefore they happened before Olivia's interview. So the meatloaf episode, well, the meatloaf question, I should say, won't be back for a few more months. So... Sad if you're dying to find out some of our next athletes' favourite meatloaf song, but we will we will catch up on that. Speaking of next episodes, we've got some great, great, great ones coming your way. Our next episode, Jared, Colin and myself are back together. The squad's back together, so we will uh, be bringing you one of our great episodes in that way. But after that, a stack of interviews that you are going to absolutely love. I teased this one recently. We have The Goat of a sport on this show. And I, I really don't like using the word goat. It gets used too much nowadays. Oh, this person's a goat. This person's a goat. This person literally is the goat because they were declared by their sports federation as the greatest athlete in their sport of the 20th century. And over the last 23 or so years of the new century, we haven't really had someone eclipse their achievements. So, This is a big chat. You are going to love that one. After that, we return to the sport of skeleton with an Olympic medalist from the sport of skeleton. After that, we debut the sport of handball on this show. I absolutely love handball to death, and I'm so excited that we've finally got a handball athlete on the show. After that, our very first athlete from the country of Hungary, the country that for years we have said isn't funny. Well, I'm telling you now, we've been proved wrong in this interview because we've got a canoe kayaker from the country of Hungary, a dual gold medalist in the sport of canoe kayaking from Hungary. Get pumped for that. After that, we return to basketball. After that, we got our very first ever skateboarder on the show. After that, ice hockey. After that, swimming. After that, a TV icon from Australia. After that, 
triathlon, if you don't mind. We've never had a triathlete on the show. So a couple of new sports are coming your way. And after that, we haven't got more. I, I could be sitting here for the next hour going through everybody else that we've got on the show, but we need to keep some mystery involved here and off the podium. So best way, of course, social media, podcasts. Get it all straight to your device. You'll never miss an episode. Big thanks again to Rachel for her time and to everybody who has tuned in to the show today. Shout out, as always, goes to the Birmingham Bull. This is B-Boy Worthy signing off, as always, and off the podium. Remember to go left and fizzle dizzle.